What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Aaron Mello podcast. I am your host, Aaron Mello. Just wanted to come on today before the second episode rolls on to say thank you to everybody who reached out after listening to the first episode. I put that out there and just didn't know how it would do if anybody would listen to it. And I really wasn't chasing any particular metrics or I haven't even looked at the numbers, to be honest with you. But again, to the people who reached out specifically to say it was great and they couldn't wait until the next episode, here we are. Just a few things about it. Uh, This was a conversation with a good friend of mine, David Butler. He's an incredible photographer. And I don't want to say too much now, but just another thank you to him for allowing me to come to his studio in Maine, which was absolutely beautiful, and just sit down and talk for over an hour. Uh, We definitely had to limit ourselves. He had family obligations, which I kept him from for a little longer than expected. So again, I appreciate his time in doing that. And we get into talking about business, working for yourself. We definitely get into the photography aspect of it, but I know we got pretty passionate about working for yourself, knowing when it's time to quit working for somebody else or doing things that are just complete life sucks, doing things that you don't find joy in and really just being stuck in that nine to five rat race. At least on my end, David knew really on his end that he knew where he needed to be. He knew what he needed to do to get there. And it was just great to speak with somebody like him that has been in it for so long and just went after it no matter what and didn't let the nose or these hard times push him away from where he needed to be. So again, it was a great conversation to have with David and I hope that you enjoy this. Let me know what you're listening to this podcast on, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Again, I'm not really looking at the metrics right now because I don't want to concern myself with that. So either way, whatever you're listening to this on, if you could give me five stars, that would be awesome. That way I know you're listening. More people will be able to hear this and share it with a friend. More importantly, I want to know who you want to hear on the next podcasts. Tag anybody that you know, a photographer or not, somebody that's in business, somebody that works for themselves, somebody who's an artist, a creative, a painter, again, anybody at this point that just has that same mentality, that creative lifestyle. I'd love to sit down and talk with them. So again, on to episode two with David Butler. Enjoy. All right. So we're rolling. Awesome, man. All right. So I don't really have a name for this yet. I think I'm just going to go with the Aramello podcast. So yeah. Um, all right. So easy enough, man. I mean, we've been trying to do this for a while. We yeah. had a Zoom call a couple months ago and I said, you know, put a, put a hold on a lot of that. So you know, I'm here with uh, David Butler. Do you prefer Dave or David? Uh, whatever makes you feel comfortable. I, or whatever I, David's good. Dave's good. Um, I, I introduced myself as David, but yeah. So, you know, I was thinking how we start this. Uh, you know, I was telling people today that you and I essentially know each other from Taunton. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I was probably going to say that was early 2000s. Um, yeah. Winter Street. Yep. And I... Portuguese I, Village. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I vaguely remember uh, your front steps um, and hanging out there. And, and it's yeah. funny because I, I try to think back to that and then how we connected after. So before we go too far, um, if you want to just introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, yeah. um, and you know, you have the floor. Yeah, I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a product photographer. My name is David Butler. I work out of the Boston area and I have a personal studio up in Portland, Maine, which is where I live. Um, and 
I've been an artist my whole life, but I didn't actually pursue it until uh, a couple of years after high school. And uh, I've been kind of just pursuing wherever the creativity takes me. And so far, photography has always been <clears throat> sort of the tool that um, allows me to most easily express myself and um, bring certain ideas and visions to life. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just been the one thing that I've understood. It's always just come natural since I picked up the camera. It's just been something I loved and I've found a way to make a living at it ever since. And uh, yeah. Now, do you remember the first time that you actually had a camera in your hands? The first camera I got, this is not far, not long after Katrina. There was a, a big flood scare in Taunton. And uh, I thought, you know what? I think I want to get a camera and document. If the city floods, if this dam gives out, I want to have pictures of it. And I've always loved history. So it was almost like I could have images that 50 years from now we'll look back on and... Uh, It'll just be capturing time, capturing a moment in time. And uh, <clears throat> I had a great history teacher that had a, had a good way of bringing old photographs from when he was young into the conversation when we're learning about in history that I've always loved bringing history to life. And uh, photographs have always done that. So I've always been fascinated from, from that as well. But yeah, that was the first time I got a camera. <clears throat> and since then... Um, I didn't really know what I was doing with it, but I had it and I would play with it and I always loved the, <clears throat> the exploration process. Yeah. So I think that was 2000, 2004, 2003 or four, say, something right like around, that. Yeah, yeah. A little bit before I graduated high school. Yeah. What was that camera? That, that was a, um, what are they, what are they called? There's a Canon power shot. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say my, my first camera lens. Was, yeah. Yeah. It just, um, my, my first was a power shot S nice. S 30. Yeah. I think. And it was, it was right around that same time. Yeah. Dad bought it 500 yeah. bucks. Yeah. Like, Hey, I bought a digital camera. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you still have it? <clears throat> no, I gave it to a good friend. Cool. Yeah. I'm sure he still has it, but never uses it. Yeah. It's a, at this point it's like a historical artifact. Well, I, I still have mine. It's pretty beat up. It does actually work. Nice. Um, yeah. It turns on and it will take photos. But I think I had the thought of disassembling every single little piece oh. and maybe putting it into like a yeah. know, shadow box type yeah. of situation with every little screw. Every, That's cool. We'll yeah. see if I, 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 it seems like a lot of tedious work and yeah. I don't know if I have the patience for it, but. That'd be a good idea. It'd I be think, a great piece. Yeah. I think that would be uh, a cool thing to, to show. Yeah. Um, now, so from Taunton, and, and this is what I was thinking before from Taunton in, okay, so maybe it was probably around 2003 or four that you and I had crossed paths unbeknownst to either of us that, you know, we were into photography or anything like that. Years went by. So I'm going to fast forward to probably 2010, sometime between 2010 to 2013, because I personally was working sales for a BMW dealership, hated it but whatever i was uh you know mid-20s making decent money but the thing that was catching me was i was looking at portfolios of professional photographers mostly lifestyle something about a lot of the lifestyle photographers that i found just really captivated me um and i just so i would spend hours at my desk just looking and i say that because somehow i got in touch with you your portfolio your work and Take me to that time of, of your career, even of your personal life, somewhere between 2010 and 2013, because 
not to jump around too much, but you were in Arizona at that time, right? Yeah. So I, in 2008, well, in 2006, I should say, I decided to take photography a lot more serious. And I knew, I knew at that point, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't know how to make a living at it, but I just knew I just understood photography and I just wanted to learn more. And I don't even know what a good photograph was. I just knew it when I saw it. And I definitely didn't know how to make one at the time. I took a few photographs that I remember showing somebody and they're like, oh, wow, you, those are good. You could be a photographer. And then that, that one declaration of like, you can be a photographer was almost like that permission and the, <clears throat> the, um, just the, it opened that door to that idea. And I, up until that point, I had no direction. I had no idea what I was going to do. I knew I wasn't good at 95% of the things that I had done up until that point. I got by. <clears throat> um, You're saying with school and everything as well? Oh, just school. Kinda... Yeah. Yeah. School was a mess. Um, I dropped out twice and ultimately never went back and went to night school. And I was working with my father making uh, marble and granite countertops. And that was just hard work. And I wasn't happy, but I was making good money at that age. And that's, at that point, I just assumed that would be my life. And so maybe to give some perspective for, for myself also, sure. I mean, we're not, we're not far in age, but to give anybody perspective, yeah. how old were you at that time? So I would have been 18 when I finally like, just stopped school yeah. and started working. Um, I think since 16 though, I was working, you know, w with my dad in the summer times and ultimately dropped out the first time at 17 and I hated it so much. I went back to school, like school was way easier <laughs> than getting up at five, going to, you know, work, uh, winter time in new England in a, in a shop and the working with water and cutting stone. And yeah, it was just, it's hard work. It's hard work. And I wasn't into it. So it was, it was just kind of a, it was a tough place at the time. So I, I went back to school and then got, dropped out of school again because I wasn't having any, uh, I wasn't going anywhere with it. And uh, going down like a, I wouldn't say a bad path, but it was definitely a no direction path. And some of my father said, you're not going to learn anything at school. You're going to learn a trade. So you're going to come work with me. And I did that and I went to night school. And after I went to night school, I got my, <clears throat> I got my diploma at a night school. And then I was able to get into like a community college. And uh, at community college, I took an art course. And that was awesome because I, up until that point, I wasn't surrounded by anything to do with art. I was around hardworking people all the time. And art was never in the conversation, you know. And even in high school, it was, um, you know, what career do you want to have that's going to make you the most money? And that was either like a doctor or a lawyer or an architect or whatever. And I wasn't going to do any of those things. <clears throat> I just wasn't built for it. But I knew I found myself very comfortable around other artists. And community college was that. I took an elective art course and there was drawing and painting and sculpting. And I messed with that. And I knew I was like, <clears throat> I, it just clicked. Like, I, I, this is not really my lane, but this is definitely I'm on the right road. I'm, on, I'm going in the right direction. And um, so I wasn't really that great at drawing or painting, but... It was, it was great to be able to spend the time studying a still life and seeing what, trying to recreate what light was doing and re record that on a canvas. Um, and even though I wasn't that great, I loved it. And I, I was, uh, 
it's just it was just I felt very comfortable studying subjects and and uh, going and just learning. Um, and ultimately, I didn't end up doing anything after that after I was done with community college, and I didn't finish community college. I just ended up working at a restaurant, and I kind of hit a dead end. Um, and my sister had since moving out to Arizona. I just kind of had to leave town. You know, I wasn't around anybody that was going to help me find myself. And it was a lot of the same thing every day. So I just packed up my stuff and I just went to go see my sister. And I drove across country and uh, leaving, leaving a small town like Taunton and just seeing the country and being free and just releasing yourself from like all of the constraints of like who who you're supposed to be because when you're raised in an area and you know everybody and they watched you grow up it's hard to then break that mold of who you are into something that you're trying to become and uh leaving town helped me just release all that and say you know what who am i let's go find myself what do i like not what are all my friends like you know or what are, you know, what am i supposed to do you know so I had my camera and I had a car and I went out there and I got a job. I slept on my sister's couch and, um, I looked around at colleges out there to find a photography program and it was nothing I could get into with my school credentials. And, but while I was there, I I stumbled upon a school called New England School of Photography and it was back in Boston. And I was like, you know what? That sounds great. Let me see if I can get in there. Cause they didn't really require <clears throat> grades and certain GPA. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I went, I came back to Boston and I checked out that school. It immediately felt like home. I was accepted and, uh, yeah, went to that school and immersed myself and there's no turning back since. So that was 2006 and, to 2008 that was a two-year school and uh i studied digital art and i studied um product photography so advertising photography is really where my focus was very specific i guess i didn't realize that they would offer something that specific yeah they covered editorial architecture portrait wedding um advertising um fine art fine art color fine art black and white mixed mixed media. They did do a lot. I was able to take what I loved about still life and what I loved about just drawing in general, like some of these more um, conceptual drawings that I would do that really weren't that good, but they were conceptual and I was able to merge the two. And I was like, I just had the tools at that point to to learn how to bring my ideas to life. And I, I just devoted myself. I mean, I was in the school all the time. I was just constantly you know either i was shooting in the bays or i was walking around the city capturing stuff for assignments just around boston or i was in the lab i was in the in the dark room or the digital lab and this is where i started to really learn how to retouch and do a lot with photoshop in a way that i just had no idea before and uh yeah i learned everything i needed to learn and everything else after that came through just experimentation and just you know, every, every job that I, or every shot that I had in mind required like 20, 
like sometimes a hundred problems to solve, you know, and just figure out how to solve those problems. You just learn how to do that going forward. You just continue to learn new techniques and new processes and better techniques. And I uh, learned a lot about light, um, lighting things, <clears throat> how to shoot in a way that, um, I can then composite and bring, you know, a conceptual piece to life. And, uh, yeah, I, was, I fell in love with it. Yeah, I think that's that's something that I I we recently talked about too, where you know a lot of these lifestyle uh, photographers or commercial images they're they're composites. Yeah, and while I know the the very small amount of how to do it, I just can't do it because I haven't done it. Yeah, I guess uh, yeah. if that works. So it's it's interesting to kind of hear how this all is coming into just the amalgamation of yeah. your work because I hearing it. I can see it in my head knowing yeah. your portfolio, yeah. um, which I hope after this more people do look at to kind of get, you know, that idea of what you're saying now in visual form. So, so to continue on, um, you know, once you're always shooting and you're learning about all this light, how to, you know, even looking around the studio right now, I can see things that you've either placed specifically there or have the same eye that I do of, I love this time of day when the light's beaming through. Um, so continue from there, you know, once, once you graduated, you know, where did you find yourself? Yeah. So once I graduated, I, I was feeling like, you know, I finally found something I'm good at and I now know how to do it. I now have the tools and there's no going back. I, I, I was like, this is, I'm all in. I've been all in since I found this school. And so after that, I actually, I spent a summer on Nantucket and I was working um, back doing marble and granite stonework um, just for the summer. Um, and also I was photographing architecture because just with my father's connection in the construction industry, he, he worked with a lot of architects and builders and I immediately had a, a way to, <clears throat> to make a living. Even though it wasn't product photography, it was I was photographing homes and interiors, and I don't think I knew that. <clears throat> I don't think I knew. Yeah, that. I have a whole portfolio of Nantucket interiors that are stunning. Um, oh. Not my photographs, but these interiors are stunning. Um, some of the the highest level of craftsmanship and design um, I was able to get access to and, and shoot for some of these builders. So that was my summer, but I didn't have a long term plan. So I had just gotten married. I met my wife, my wife, Lindsay at, at school. So we, not long after we graduated, we ended up getting married and we lived on the Island together and we just needed to come up with a plan. We weren't going to stay there. Um, so, so we just were thinking about Arizona and when I was, I could jump all over here, but when I was living in Arizona the first time I had a friend from town come visit me and he actually had met, one of my friends who actually he ended up falling in love with and marrying. So he moved out there since me being at school, since I moved back, we swapped coasts. Okay. Yeah. So after I got married, I'm like, Oh, well, you know, my friend Adam's still out there. So let's just, let's go out there for a little while. We were, had no kids. We had no responsibilities. We had just finished school and I'm like, I can get a job out there. So I just started emailing every photographer in the Phoenix area and 
only one replied, and he happens to be somebody I still look up to the most. Uh, his name is Brandon Sullivan. He's awesome. He, uh, it was like the peak of like the 20, 2008 housing market crash, and a lot of people really weren't working that much. So me getting a job as an assistant is the worst time to move out there. But he gave me some work, and he kept me going. And uh, <clears throat> so that's how I got to Phoenix. And it wasn't enough assisting work to sustain to even pay our bills. So I had to get a job at a sandwich shop. And I'm like, what did we do? You know, I was shooting for architects. And now I'm like working at a Jersey Mike's out here in, in Arizona, just, just trying to pay the bills. And then I ended up getting a job at a portrait studio, which I will not name the studio. Oh, no. But I... <laughs> It was, it was everything I didn't want to be. Was it picture people? <laughs> it was a family-owned spot, and I don't want to sure. hurt their business. We have millions of listeners, so I mean, I just want you to know that's hey, a, that was, anybody that's ever looked them you. up. I don't want to. <laughs> no, you know, they did everything opposite of what I, what I stood for. Quality was the lowest. Everything was turned and burned. You know. So I'm here, like miserable, retouching pimples off kids' faces and oh. thinking, I got to, something's got to give here. And I'm barely even able to pay our rent and whatever. So I did this one nonprofit assisting. So my friend who shoots editorial, he volunteered his, his time to do a pro bono shoot for a nonprofit. And he asked me if I would help him. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll help you. And so we're... We're photographing kids that have life-threatening or terminal illnesses. Um, it's called Flashes of Hope. So he was photographing kids to record where they are, you know, and it was either they were either going to get treatment and come out of this situation or a lot of them, unfortunately, were too sick. And it was really for their parents to have this fortune. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was heavy, very heavy. Very but I connected with this, this, his name was Mark Lipchinski. He's still an Arizona photographer. He's, he's amazing. Um, but I, I got to know him a little bit more through this one particular job, just assisting him. And through that, he learned more about me. And he, he actually had another friend that he connected me to. And he's like, oh, you got to meet my friend at this company called Philosophy. He's a designer there. And he's, a, you know, he's looking for help with retouching in their product photography studio, their in-house studio. And I said, yeah, that'd be amazing, yeah. So that one event working with him kind of led me to this connection to this guy named Chris, Chris Adams. And Chris brought me in and I was doing some freelance work and man, I was happy for anything. You know, sure. I was just retouching pimples and <laughs> trying to, <laughs> there were salespeople that would promise these like unreasonable size blow up portraits that are just not, should never be printed to begin with. Never mind wall size. And I'm trying to make them look good. It was, it was awful, man. So retouching product at a, at a reasonable rate was almost like too good to be true. Yeah. You know, I was going from, like, I think, like $10 an hour to then $30 an hour, you know. And $30 an hour for retouching to me at the time was like, I felt like I had a secret that no one knew about. Like, they're paying me way too much. <laughs> you know? what, what year was this then? This was So this would have been twenty. 10. 2010. Okay. Yeah. So I'd been there for a couple of years and, or maybe a year and a half before I got caught on to something, you know? 
And working for philosophy really altered my trajectory in the way that I was now working for a pretty good sized company and they're growing fast and um, <clears throat> they're, they were, they're corporate and they were producing. So they made fragrance, um, skincare product, cosmetics. Um, uh, they, they, had a, they had a whole line um, and they had, they were putting out new products, all new SKUs all the time. And so me being in house, I was quickly going from working with the photographer they hired to capture their catalog for e-commerce to, you know, I started to get good at rendering products and slapping on new labels just to get things approved. And they utilize me for everything. So now I'm working with the e-com team. I'm working with the packaging designers. I'm working with, um, the, the people that do, uh, merchandising and lay out the planograms for where products will live in store. And, and these are really, like the, these are like what you would see in Macy's, for instance. Yeah, so they so were the exactly. big, almost like placards that were six feet tall, sure. standing next to the fragrance yeah, counters. Yeah, big print displays. Yeah, uh, point of sales print ads. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, I was still, I was hungry, and I was taking on every project, and I was retouching as much as I could. And then we were we were growing, so I ended up hiring. Well, I didn't hire the company. Hired another freelance retoucher, and I got to oversee them and I was overseeing the photographer at the time and slowly but surely I'm like you know I I shoot I'm gonna start shooting so I started shooting in my back room in my apartment and then just kind of like presenting them with other ideas I'm was like, it yeah, their products or were you taking their up? products and I'm like I know that they have like they're concepting what to do for their next ad and I'm listening and I'm like, I can do this guys. So I'd just go home and I'd work with what I got. I had like speed lights, you know, and I would just be getting two or three speed lights or just working with one speed light and camera on a tripod, just popping it off in different spots. Multiple and, exposures. Yeah, exactly. And I'm merging light and, yeah. and just trying to bring these ideas um, to light in a, good enough quality way to where maybe I can be awarded the job. You know, I, maybe I can start shooting for them and slowly that started to happen. Um, was there a current photographer, just kind of a, a button pusher then just whatever they wanted, he would just, yeah, he, exactly. He so they, they had a very, um, repetitive formula and they worked with outside agencies for their, for their campaign campaign work. And so it started to be like, all right, well, David's starting to shoot this stuff. Let's send him on these campaign shoots and I, maybe he can learn. So I shot with Mark Leda and I don't know if anybody knows who Mark Leda is. He's one of the best product photographers of the eighties and nineties and two thousands. He shot early Clinique stuff. He shot Apple. Um, when they started, first started doing all the, I'm sure in the early nineties, early two thousands, if you bought anything, Apple, Mark Leda shot it. Um, he did a lot of product stuff. So I really looked up to him. His work was stunning and uh, meeting him, he couldn't have been a more graceful host and, and um, just watching him work was just, it was amazing. And I'm like, I want this, like I want, I love his setup. I love the team around him. You know, this is really cool. And uh, that was the first photographer. The second photographer I worked with was uh, Peter Shafrick out of Toronto. And again, newer in the sense of like, Mark Leda was sort of at the tail end of his career. Peter Shafrick was innovative and he was, 
he was shooting things in a way that I, even till today I've, I've yet to see the quality of the way he shoots and composites he had a great team around him he was like an engineer so he was rigging these great shoots and he had a great retoucher that was able to just bring it all together and it was all real it was photographs it wasn't cgi and it really looked rendered you know it was such high quality um production that he would do and he shot for everybody but do you know specifically i just uh, i guess for sidebar kind of gear sure. talk nerd talk do you know what he was using for any hardware he, i want to say it was he was definitely shooting medium format mm. they both were um you kind of have to in that end well yeah. you do have to in that industry right? yeah i mean you yeah can't resolution was the key. yeah you needed it yeah he's medium format digital i think he shot brown color if i remember right i think they both did but which is what i shoot now and it's not because you can't do what i do with other lights it's just they're built for what we do yeah um and they're really efficient um, and consistent so anyway working with them those two guys i was like I, i've learned enough <laughs> i've seen a, i've seen a couple things that they do that that launched me like i picked up a couple tips a couple tips and techniques that i saw them do that kind of i was like that was the key that was what i was missing to get the look that i was after I'm like oh i never thought of that you know so i'm i'm, I'm open about you know where i've learned some of my stuff and uh, honestly that i learned a lot on those two shoots but and everything else it's like i'm gonna take those and just push it you know so i'm i'm still learning today anyway so coming back from after that second shoot in toronto i was like i think i I can acquire a few things and I can up my game, you know, and really create, bring my work to the next level that I wasn't able to get. I wasn't able to crack that code before. I knew there was something about what I was doing that wasn't quite what I saw in like a tear sheet in a magazine or like what you'd see on a billboard. And I was like, this is something there that I'm not. Anyway, so I started to get them to start renting me a studio. And I was still, I think at the time I was shooting with a Canon, a 5D. Mm. And I mean, pretty, pretty, um, average gear. It wasn't anything crazy. Um, and, uh, I had Einstein lights. I bought my lights. They were, I bought a kit with three lights. They were 800 bucks a head. And that was a huge investment for me, but it got me, it got me out of my speed lights and into, um, a little bit more consistent power and not dealing with like the batteries and you know other things yeah, like they that would actually plug in so you could they have actual in. Like, oh, AC wow, power not have to worry about that yeah yeah and batteries dying and putting out crazy outputs and color temperatures and yeah so anyway so this is a kind of a, a run-on but this is kind of where i got to start shooting a lot more so now i'm i'm i've they've since hired me on i'm shooting what used to be outsourced to these big photographers and they're actually giving me a little bit more of the creative concepting and i'm shooting it so i'm spending a day or two days flushing out concepts and then they hire then they rent out a studio and i'd go and actually shoot it for them and now i'm shooting magazine ads and i'm shooting stuff that goes like you said at macy's or dillard's or nordstrom's and you know sephora and I'm shooting images that live on their boxes and you know I'm, that really just got me much more experienced in working with all these different like print uh outputs and it got me a portfolio you know i was i wasn't in my mind i really wasn't getting paid i've earned so much responsibility that i've in my mind i've out 
uh, I've exceeded what's proper pay, you know, but I was happy to do it for the experience. And, uh, I learned, I soaked as much as I soaked up as much as I could. I was doing press checks, which no one really does anymore. I was doing, uh, yeah, working with packaging designers and e-commerce designers and I was doing it all. So I learned a ton. Um, so I think that's, that's where, so the portfolio that you mentioned, I think that had to have been, you know, the first time that I came across your work yeah. and, you know, in that stint of me kind of, and I, I didn't even consider myself a photographer at that point. It was something that I did for fun, but I think it, it was at that time, it was, a the beginning stages of the fake it till you make it because I had a camera. I had a camera for years. It was something that I was incredibly passionate about, but it was, I don't know how to go from this to that. So I was, you know, drooling over portfolios. And I, uh, again, I came over yours somehow and I said, wow, I know him and he's doing, I think it looks like what I want to do. Where do I start? But I think having a lack of that education then, because, you know, if we're going back to 2010, I was, you know, just kind of, you know, working the, the 60 hours a week and going, well, I mean, this is this is guaranteed. If if something falls into my lap, that'll be great. And that's what I was expecting to happen for so long. Something was just going to fall into my lap really without a proper portfolio, without knowing anybody, without having those relationships. I said, yeah, it'll, it'll happen one day. And I think that mentality is, is kept going for years. And that essentially just prolonged my ability to have this as a career. Um, and that's probably about the time that I reached out to you or, you know, uh, maybe 2012 ish. We probably had some messages here and there and then bringing me to 2012, maybe 2011, 2012 ish. No, actually, sorry. Your exchange street studio is where I'm trying to get. So probably somewhere between 2013 and 15. So, is where we started to have conversations and I said, okay, Dave, I need your help because this is what I want to do. And this is what you're doing. What do I do? And so meeting you at your exchange street studio, which is a beautiful spot in Portland, Maine, completely envious of your studio space. And I think also that's the first time I saw a tablet for retouching. Oh, so I, yeah. I went out and then bought a tablet for retouching my yeah. photos because I was I, I was taking beer photos at home because I was uh, uh, just a beer guy at the yeah, time. That yeah. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go buy a tablet, and that's gonna that's gonna be what I need to get me to that next step. And it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess you know where I was going with that is then you had that Exchange Street Studio, so you were doing a bit more of um, you were you were out of Phoenix. Yeah. You were back in Maine or not, not back in Maine. I guess I should say, how did you go from then Phoenix okay. to Maine would probably yeah. be the And keep in mind, like through, while I'm working at philosophy, I'm still, I'm still shooting. I mean, I'm, I've, I had so many ideas. I feel like I had way more ideas than when I wasn't, when I was so like so hungry to break into the scene, I was just like churning out ideas. So I'm still shooting in my back room. A lot of portfolio images that you're referring to, if they were not philosophy, they were my own personal projects. And they were, I'm just like, I need to diversify my portfolio. So even when I'm at philosophy shooting, I'm still going home shooting other stuff on the weekends or at night or. And for somebody like myself, you know, knowing what your philosophy stuff looks like and then seeing your personal stuff, you know, your, your product work. Yeah. 
I wouldn't have been any of the, uh, I would have been sure. none the wiser to that go. Was the this goal. was all, this is all the same thing. He's shooting now for bows or whatever yeah. it might have been then yeah, that yeah. you were doing proje- uh, passion projects yeah. for. Yeah. I would have been none the wiser because right. everything was that cohesive and just had that marketing yeah. tear sheet quality to it where I just said, wow. Yeah. So at a certain point in Phoenix, we, we had a, a daughter and a, a baby on the way. And we already had known it's time to go back to New England. I wanted to be around family. We didn't really know where to go, but I knew we had to come back. And around this time, Philosophy was bought out by a larger company. And their um, marketing department moved to New York. And they were dissolving the marketing off the studio. Most of the building in Phoenix was going to be shut down. Um, minus the actual production because they made a lot of stuff in the building that we worked in manufacturing. Um, so in this chaos of the whole marketing department moving to New York city, they were like, look, anybody that wants to keep their job has to move. And otherwise we're going to let you, here's a severance and we're going to hire your position locally in New York. But I had, at this point, I've acquired like running the entire operation. So now I'm running the whole um, photography department and we're capturing thousands of images a year for e-commerce, you know, all their products. And we worked a lot with QVC and we did special stuff just for QVC and special stuff for Dillard's or Sephora. And like, so there were, it was an operation. Like we were cranking out a lot of product shots and collections and holiday gift sets and we were shooting it all. I just went to you know the the creative leaders and said look i know you guys are trying to handle logistics and how all this stuff is going to get transferred let me own the photography production still and if you guys set me up in in portland maine which is where we decided to move i'll run it all and this will be a humongous burden that you guys are not going to have to like try to resolve you know so this was your idea. It was my, was I went to them like, to yeah, them. if you guys set me up here, um, I'll run the whole studio. And th- that's one less chunk of the operation that you don't have to figure out how to transfer to New York. Wow. And so they did. And I went to Portland. I found a space and we set it up. And uh, yeah, so I had a, a great friend of mine, Adam, who was living in L.A. at the time studying film. And I'm like, look, man, I'm going to Portland if you want to move out. I'm, I'm going to need a dump number two and this full-time assistant. If you want to move out, we got a job for you. So he moved back with his uh, soon-to-be wife. And uh, now we're all kind of running our own little... That's how you found me in, in, in Portland. And yeah. we're running this show. And the New York City marketing department kind of inherited this setup with me already in Portland. So I kind of like got grandfathered into this new logistical setup you know and and they so they they were introduced to me as their in-house photographer and i'm running everything still shooting a lot of the creative campaigns and interesting enough even when they even when they hired the when the new team started to hire out the new campaign visuals they would still come back to me and i'm retouching it and it's like guys you don't have to do this we can you know we can shoot this stuff and and they upgraded my equipment. You know, they bought me, they set me up right with medium format gear. And I'm still working with my Einsteins, but they got me more of them. So now we had multiple bays and we had the equipment to 
compete with like these bigger guys that were shooting with resolution that um and quality that i wasn't really able to get with the smaller format stuff and not that it was so far off but it was you know we needed to have the right gear to to handle some of where these images were going to live so yeah then that's how we're that's where we met and yeah so it was a great spot it was a great setup yeah i I think for for anybody who is familiar with portland probably knows exchange street you know it's it's definitely the tourist a touristy area of portland but for somebody like me who appreciates maine for everything that it has but you know portland too even especially in the off season somebody who will come up here specifically in the winter just to have that serenity exchange street is just a beautiful street to walk down you're a block over from the ocean and i think the first time walking into your studio was another glimpse into a life that i knew that i wanted not not because of pretty things and yeah. going ooh and ah but going this is a creative space where yeah. i'm allowed to like what you do play out your thoughts Mm -hmm. you know you have the area to yourself you have the music going you have the ambiance of the city below you and you're just able to play and 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 really flush out those creativity yeah uh sparks that you have yeah and then being introduced to medium format and and holding it was a phase one Mm -hmm. i believe then that was a hassle but Oh, oh, that that, was that that was that was a hassle but that that was yes and just the the sheer size of that I think a lot of that was just intimidating to me to go. Sure. I really know nothing about anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. At that point. Right. Um, but it, I, you know, I still pinpoint that as that turning point to me going, okay, this is, this is the direction I need to go. Yeah. And just watching you from afar. Yeah. Um, so it's always interesting to no, look back cool. on that. It's interesting to hear your perspective of it because I've always thought of myself, um, like my view of myself for the longest time, has always been we're our own worst critics mm-hmm. and we're never where we want to be you know and so i was pretty hard on myself so i was always shooting in between stuff because i hated looking at my portfolio i'm always looking at it like this is i've been looking at it so long to me it's dated i don't even like it there's a terrible idea <laughs> all these things right so i'm i had so much motivation to to kind of replace the work that I was sick of looking at and that's where I was so to think somebody else is looking at that and was inspired by it it's a reminder that we should just keep that keep our own voice that's in our mind like at bay sometimes and just appreciate the process and appreciate the journey you know yeah it's difficult too though because I think I still run into that yeah where so much of what I do even even today, shooting down in Boston at your studio that you have for a different campaign, a different photographer, um, shooting behind the scenes, I will bring that home and go, I should have done X, Y, Z differently. It, it, it'll always be your own worst critic, like you said. Um, but I don't know. I, I haven't figured out if that's a good thing or a bad thing yet because... Good. I say good because you always strive for more. You, you want better. You expect more of yourself. Mm-hmm. But when do those expectations become a hindrance? Yeah. And you go, you need to appreciate, like what you're saying, how far you've come, the yeah. journey that you've been on. Oh, it could drive somebody to quit. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, from hearing your beginnings of the 18-year-old who hated working 
you know, a blue collar job to going, this isn't. <laughs> and to be clear, I didn't hate it because I didn't like the work. I wasn't good at it. Oh, and okay. I hated, I just hated not being good at what I was doing all the time. In okay. addition to being <laughs> freezing and, you know, well, I was going to say in the winters and cold yeah. and everything, but yeah. And, and so, you know, if I can, if I can help from the outside, at least where I go, yeah. I mean, I look at your studio space and I'm never somebody who thinks that you get to a point where you make it. Yeah. I, I think a couple of months ago I was having this mindful moment of there's no such thing as making it. Mm-hmm just because this is my career and I'm able to do this every day doesn't mean it's yeah the best. There yeah. are bad days just like every career and job, but I'll never make it. Mm-hmm. I think in my opinion, I'll never make it because there's no peak level that you get to and go, this is it. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I think that that will always require me to go, how do I get better? Yeah. What do I need to do to get better? How can I, improve upon xyz that i've been doing yeah and so if there's any any ability for me to look at you and go yeah yeah i think even almost 10 years ago now i looked at you and said wow this is this is incredible this is kind of an inspiration for me so if that helps you yeah. then go wow okay and then however that transpires with you right i hope in a positive way yeah there's a couple of things that i'm i'm reminded of as you kind of talk about that is a we're on a journey so to make it is to that means the journey's over and that means you've stopped evolving and that means i think 10 years ago i was a different person than i am today and i hope in 10 years from now i evolve into a different version of myself still true to my core values but it's you know, my aesthetics are going to change what, what I'm into. My, my temperament might change. I might be more relaxed. I don't know if that's possible. You seem like, a, I was going to say, you <laughs> seem like a pretty relaxed guy already. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, what I'm saying is that we're on a journey and it's to hold a goal that you had five years ago as that's still your goal. What if you make it and that's not where you want to be mm-hmm. because you're not that person. So it's heady, you know, it's a lot of, it's deep, but it, that should alleviate when people are so fixated on what they see for themselves. I think they should keep in mind that that might change and to be at peace if it does, because it's a journey again. The other thing is when I left philosophy, I didn't really leave on good terms. The, they didn't, I wasn't valued in a way that I felt I should have been. And I was, it was a corporate runaround to where like, they kind of kept kicking the conversation of increasing my pay to match what I was delivering. They kept kicking that down the curb and it got toxic for lack of a better word. And I just knew that that was the end of the road. I knew I had to take a leap and say, all right, this is as far as I can take this. And I need to go out on my own. Because I'm not going to get the satisfaction I'm looking for here. So I need to just, you know, this is comfortable. This is safe. But I was dying inside again. Like I was at the portrait studio. Like I had so much to give the world. But I, and it was more than the money. I had so much to give the world. And so much inside me that I had to get out. That I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be an option if I had stayed in that position. And what year was this? 
So this would have been 2006, I think. I mean, sorry, 2016. 16. I think, yeah. 15 or 16. Okay. I think the start of 2016, or well, the very end, it was December of 2015, I believe, is when I put in my two weeks and said, all right, good luck. You know? And, this is, and with, nothing, with nothing lined up otherwise. No, no, I had nothing lined up. Um, except for just the, the a drive that I, that might not have been matched since, you know, I knew I had to, I knew I had to do it. And I was terrified, but I, it had to be done. You know, I, I was, I, I like this part of the conversation and this is, this is going to be tough because I know we're strapped for time too, but this is the part of the conversation that I really want to get to for a lot of reasons. You know, you had been comfortable in a position doing what you loved having the support up and up until about yeah, that time. Absolutely. And I think it's natural where some people could go, he, he, some people can look at this and go, he's being greedy. You know, he just wants more money. But when you've been doing something for as long as you have, you know what your value is. It's important to yeah, receive a, that value, whether it's financially, monetarily, or personally, Yeah, it, you need to be valued. Yeah. So you're right. It was never really about the money yeah. in terms of like what I materialistically, it was more about, it wasn't a fair compensation. And, and I'm, I'm not on that team of, you know, you're being greedy because I've, I've been in those positions with, you know, sales jobs where, yeah, Hey, pay me. I've been here for a year. You have to pay me more. And that's not where we're at. It's a matter of you knowing what your skill set is, you knowing what your values are and you saying, I'm not just going to stay comfortable for any longer, which is the huge turning point for a lot of people that a lot of people don't get to. Yeah. And this is a conversation that I've had with a lot of people because with me, with my photography career, with my jump was in 2018. So this was only four years ago. We're, we just passed the four year mark where I was working in Boston. I was commuting. I was out of the house for 12, 13 hours a day. Again, sounds like a familiar story, making decent money, paying for my kid, paying for myself and, and having that okay life, thinking I had a cool job in Boston. I had a big boy job, but being miserable because it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't filling my bucket. So we had just come back from a trip to London, which was awesome because they paid for everything. Um, my first time out of the country, but we came back and management was toxic, absolutely toxic. It was I, it was had the very beginnings of this is going to go sour very quick. They're either going to cut me or I have to leave. And I, I left yeah. without a parachute, like what you're saying. And that was the moment that people will never get to because it's incredibly uncomfortable and you have no plan B. But when you have a plan B is when you'll never leave. Right. So I think... I can resonate with that entirely and I can fully appreciate that because it, it wasn't even me though going, oh, well, you don't value my salesmanship. It was, this just isn't what I want to do. So this is the time I need to jump ship. Um, and again, that's where people never get to. And it's hard to have that conversation with people. I've had people very close to me who want to do the same thing, but just can't because they have a car payment or they have rent. All these bills that we have but we're fulfilled. And again, this isn't the end all be all, but it's, it's the path that we needed to be on years ago. So taking the leap is the first step. So once you put in your two weeks, how did, how did things play out? Well, I should also say just that 
piggyback on your point about it's not about greed it was i, I actually started to see it as <clears throat> them if i didn't leave in my mind i'm like they're actually paying me to not do my dream and that's not enough money to pay me to not do my dream so it's less about what i'm doing for them that wasn't equally compensated than it was like so if, if I'm going to stay on board here, it needs to be worth not pursuing a, a vision that I had for myself. And that's where it became, I can't stay. Because they could have doubled my, my salary and it still wasn't going to fill, it still wasn't going to fulfill me. And because I knew I had a lot to give, like I said, and... So to that point, though, not to interrupt or to interrupt, because I'm curious in a situation like that where, you know, your skill set and we have a very specific skill set. If somebody were to say, hey, David, we're going to double your salary. You know, at what point does that is that still not enough, though? Because not because it's, again, like a financial thing, but it's because you have somebody telling you what to do. How much of it has to do with that? No, it's really it's it had nothing ultimately i'd rather be poor financially like strapped and happy happy with what i'm how i'm spending my days um than the opposite because the, nothing's guaranteed you know i there's a i think a lot about what I, what i'm leaving behind and what i'm spending my time on and um it it was just much bigger than that and I knew the unhappiness didn't just come from the toxicity from the corporation level. It had everything to do with my resentment for not being able to be freed up to do my dream because I'm still tied to the studio working on things I don't care about. So no amount of money would have made me feel like that's worth it. Um, Was this a decision that you had to ultimately make on your own? Yeah. Now I know, I know that you know, I myself, I'm not married. I never have been. And I know it's a much different, yeah. you know, uh, situation when you are, but, you know, was this a situation that your wife could have even, even said yes or no and, and you had felt comfortable with it? Well, I mean, she knew what I was bringing home and she knew the, the dynamics at work. It had to come to an end soon. It, it was just, um, yeah, I'm not going to get into all the details, but there were, I was running out of resources to even perform and there was just a lot of toxicity and it was, it was actually like, this is going to go really bad if I don't just leave. So, and in some ways the decision was made for me. I could have stayed They, I mean, from an HR perspective, they had no, I was a perfect employee. They had nothing to fire me on. So I, I had to leave on my own. They couldn't cut me, you know, really. Um, but why even have that linger? Yeah, you know, I just when knew you I had to, to do think what I had about to do. that. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't happy. You know, I, I had so much to accomplish, and and it wasn't going to happen if I stayed. I had to. Go, I had to go. Um. So from there, I put in my two weeks, and I actually said, you know what, this is early December. I'll I'll ride out the rest of the year. I'll onboard whoever is going to replace me, and I'll 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 actually spend the remainder of the of the month, the remainder of the year training them so that way there's a really smooth transition and they were like no <laughs> two weeks is good we're not going to give you your holiday bonus you know we're you guys you're done if you say you're done you're done okay 
two weeks. That was actually a good, clean break. Um, and that was it. That it became real, you know? And I was like, all right, this is real. And I remember to this day, I, I heard this quote. I don't know if anybody knows who Zig Ziglar is. Probably not. But he was a motivational speaker from, I don't even know, maybe the 70s or 80s. Heard the name. Yeah, yeah. And I heard him say, you have to go as far as your eye can see. And when you get there, you'll be able to see further. And that was like, yeah. My, everything inside of me told me I have to go. I don't know where I'm going. Or I can't see the destination, but I have to go. And when I get closer, I'll, I'll learn more. I'll see more on the horizon. I'll, you know, this is one step at a time, but I have to take a step. If I want any progress, I have to start moving. And one's footfall the other. And I just started calling like every, every company in New England, the Boston area, like only thing I could offer at that point from where I was without a studio, you know, I was like, I'm a retoucher for a little while. I'm going to go back to that. And I'll just, if I can just get, I was even like emailing as an, for an assistant position. I was just trying to get any work just to, I had a number that I had to make minimum every month. And I was like, if I can just get there, that's winning to me. That's success. So, cause I'm doing it on my terms. That's what I did. So luck. I mean, fortunately I had some friends that were shooting Reebok. I had some friends that were shooting, uh, over at Converse and they were sending me shoes to retouch and I'm just spending, I'm working out of my back, my spare room in my house on my computer and I'm doing fine. Because I, I want to ask what, what was day one like? So, so you have your two weeks, you, uh, so what was this December, say like 15th, just to make it easy where it's, I'm no longer employed technically. Um, what is day one waking up like is, is what you're saying right now of all these calls? Is that day one, this frantic situation of calling? People, no, it's or? like after I put in my two weeks, I'm going to, I started going on LinkedIn, connecting with people, um, at all these companies that are in like the project management management position or art producing, you know, creative director. I'm, I'm trying to connect with everybody and I'm kind of had this general email that I would send to everybody. And I think my portfolio was pretty well-rounded enough at that point, just from shooting so many personal projects and, you know, what I did at philosophy that it gave me, the fact that I retouched it all too, kind of helped me lead with that. And so I was getting enough retouching work, but so I started to get these projects freelance, you know, as I'm walking out, you know, as I'm, as my days come to an end with philosophy, I'm already starting to. Oh, so you just didn't even, you don't, you don't even wait to have day one. No, of unemployment, no, there was so no to speak. like day one really, but it, I mean, it was slow. It was definitely slow. It took a while to build up and, but I'm emailing everybody. I'm just cold calling. I mean, they're just sending emails and connecting with people. LinkedIn was awesome for that. I don't know why I don't do it more now. I actually just made an account a few, like a few months back, knowing that yeah. getting out of weddings and that's a story for another time, but getting out of weddings and getting into right. commercial and lifestyle spaces, you know what? I'm going to use LinkedIn because it's a lot more formal where I have to learn to meet with creative directors and retouchers and all of these people. So yeah, LinkedIn is... You look and say, who do you want to work for? Oh, I want to work for Patagonia. All right, let's look up Patagonia. Let's see who is their senior art producer. All right, I'm connecting with so-and-so at Patagonia. Nice. I've already just wrote... 
I've wrote, written them an email and now they know who, know who I am. You know, next time I'm in Pacific Northwest, I'm going to try and get them a coffee and show them my book. Now there's a you bridge, you made a bridge and it's great. There's, there's so many ways that this could go uh, just in terms of how it's panned out. You know, you talk about the book, you know, you have a, a, a lay flat book. Would you, would you call it a lay flat book? A lay, lay flat, it's a difficult word, to actually present to people. Are you seeing that has won you, maybe not specific jobs, but has earned you relationships with people that it wouldn't otherwise by saying a cold email and here's my image on a screen? When you're able to show somebody something tangible, do you feel that that makes that connection that much stronger? Yeah, 100%. And it's not so much the book, it's the personal interaction. It's the time you could, I think even you could achieve similar things with an iPad, but it's more about the connection. This, like most industries, this particular industry, it's all about trust. If I'm ever awarded a project from an agency or a company, they're putting a lot of trust in those dollars that they're spending. They have an expectation of what that's going to give them for a return. And they have to, they have to trust that me as the the artist is going to deliver to their expectations if not exceed and so every time i get a job i am so grateful and i take it with a it's a lot of pressure that comes with it because i'm like okay they're putting a lot of trust in me because (laughs) this is their budget you know for this quarter or for you know whatever and i don't know if i'm getting off script here but um there or, is no script. Or, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> or if I'm getting going off on a tangent. Yeah, it's, what I'm saying is when you have that connection and that trust, it's, it means more than just a nice website or a, a nice laid out, lay flat. But however they're finding your work or a connection through an email, that means a connection through an email is almost, it's a one step to making a connection. And those connections ultimately are going to get you hired. And that trust is a big part of it. And that comes with how you present yourself. And to me, what I do is so technical. I think showing that it can be produced in print, like the way you would see it in a store or on, a, on an ad in a magazine, they need to know that I'm thinking about the print process as much as how sexy it looks online, you know, on this backlit screen. So I think for me, it's appropriate to have both. If I was going to choose one or the other, it would still be the print book. There's a tactile quality to print, and I think anybody that isn't anybody that sits there and holds a print and feels it and interacts with it, they got, it's gonna and it's it's a whole different exchange. Well, I think that's that's what I've been missing in in how I've pro, how I've progressed in my career as a wedding photographer is because it's mostly a decision based on money. You know, we have this budget for this photographer who can beat that. And so it's hard for me then, because if I have somebody that inquires through my website that says, Hey, I love your work. How much are you? Or are you available? I say, you know, we need to schedule a phone call. We need to sit down and have a coffee. You need to hear my voice, you know, in person, you need to see my, uh, my mannerisms. You need to have that human element because maybe we just don't vibe. 
And then that's not good for either of us, whether our personalities don't match or whatever it may be, but we need to have a sit down conversation. And that never happens anymore, at least in the wedding industry with me personally. Uh, I'm sure it does with some people, but the people that I have met in person, I have booked and have been wonderful clients and it has been a wonderful friendship. So I can absolutely appreciate what you're saying about let's sit down, have a coffee, see my work. Yes. But speak with me and know that this is what I'm passionate about. Know that we need to both be a good fit, me for you and you for me just as much. And then we can continue this relationship. Um, And that gets lost so much now because everything's easy online. Emails, texts, calls, Zooms, especially now after, you know, the pandemic. But so it's interesting to see, um, which I think uh, brings me to my next point or question of... Because you have such a close relationship with these people that you're meeting, whether it's face-to-face or being in a studio setting, how have things changed since then? You know, are you finding things a bit more difficult to communicate to clients or uh, not clients necessarily, but because of the increase of Zoom or let's do this over a FaceTime or a call, let's maybe not do something in studio. As you were saying before we even got on here, during COVID, people were just sending you things. Have you found your ability to stay creative in those moments still been as as, as promising as it was before? I'm I'm kind of bouncing around. Yeah, no, I think just to say like a lot of what I do, by the time we're actually on set, the creative decisions have been established. Whether it's me behind the concepting phase or the client, or the agency, whoever we're working with, by the time we get product to a tabletop, all the decisions have been made. Um, there are subtle nuance, you know, discoveries, I should say, or like explorations that you have on set. Like, well, maybe we have a kicker light here, or maybe we, you know, add a gel here. And who knows, you know, but in general, it's already gone through so many steps of approval that those there isn't too much in what i would do there isn't too much that isn't already decided and so when you're on set and you're shooting it does slow down quite a bit if there's a lot of decisions still to be made but usually those are already made and we have mock-ups and we have everything dialed in and you know there's so much um so much already talked about and discussed um on Zoom, you know, usually wherever people are, but um, that on set, it's not as bad. Now, if those details are not buttoned up and all the right players, so to speak, are not on the Zoom call and there's like a lag between, you know, what do you think of the cup in front or the handle, you know, the handle facing forward or backwards? And what about the, the props over here? Should they be like this or do you like this better? Well, there's a huge momentum kill if that has to be like routed and we're waiting for feedback and the clock's ticking. And if we're shooting beverages, a lot of times the beverage, the ice melts and the drink dies, you know, and you got to rebuild it. In some ways, if the client was just there, they could say, yeah, no, let's just leave it in front. Treat it both ways, make a decision, move forward. You know, those were, those situations is no question. We were a lot more like, things were a lot better from a creative standpoint. But otherwise, it does work well. If you can get all the details buttoned up and people are in L.A. or they're in Chicago or they're in Texas, wherever they are, and everybody can join in remotely, it's kind of, we have a good system. 
when I was at your studio in Boston a couple of weeks ago, were you on a call? Um, you were. It sounded like at the very beginning, at least when I first yeah. got there, you were on a call with somebody who was essentially watching what you were doing yeah. um, from afar. Yeah, so we had, this was working directly with a brand, an internal with the brand. And they had, they had one of their designers on site. So she kind of had the ability to come in and make creative decisions if needed. And we also had the Zoom virtually streaming. So anybody that couldn't make, attend the shoot personally could just attend it virtually. And um, we always have that now, even if the, the decision makers are on set. There are still other teammates that want to chime in, you know, or pop in in between meetings and see how the shoot's progressing or just review. So it's kind of been my standard practice now to just kind of have it on a Zoom meeting just to virtually display the shoot and I share my screen. So every image that pops up, it's, it's being broadcasted to whoever's on the Zoom. So yeah, that day that was a, that was a situation where, yeah, somebody on site was there to, you know, collaborate and there were other people that were just following along as I could. So I know we've jumped around quite a bit and which, you know, I, I certainly expected to, yeah, yeah. um, you know, so from where you are now compared to where you were, you know, in 2016, um, it was 2016 leaving philosophy, you know, you've had six years to grow really on your own. You know, you don't have the, the management saying yes to this, no to this, you know, you can, you can't. Um, how have you personally grown with your own brand just in terms of if, looking back on that work and then what you're doing now, do you, do you see, are you able to actually go, wow, okay, there's been the progress that I've been waiting, you know, as far as I could see and then went there and I could see more like what you said. Well, I should also mention 2016, I, I linked up with an agent. So I, we linked up and we've been working together ever since. So together we've kind of made leaps just from a, you know, the types of projects we work on and the types of relationships that we've been able to build. And she's a producer as well. So, so much of what I do today, it really reflects team, you know? So I typically work with the same stylist. I typically work, you know, Adam, I mentioned, came in from LA. And so since then he's been on every single job, just about, maybe with the exception of one. What I do now is a lot different because I have so many people around me that allow me to deliver a higher level of production. Um, and that can't be unsaid. You know, that every time I show the book, I'm like, well, I have a producer on my team that can get anything in the world at any time. I have assistants that kind of allow me to kind of be super creative and they pay attention to the details. So if I miss something or if I'm forgetting a shot that's on the shot list or a variation of a shot or one of the, everything I shoot, I shoot in many plates. So that's what we call like, you know, multiple images to then composite to make one final image. And, you know, you know, Adam will be like, Oh, you forgot this to focus stack or you forgot this focus point or we forgot to, shoot a plate without the drink so you can have the clean background, you know, things like that. While I'm thinking on a creative level, he's, I got people that are like watching my details. And, you know, Jenna Thiessen, who is my rep, she is also kind of like managing the client and 
being a host and you know making sure the shoot stays on track so she's watching the schedule making sure like if it is if there's talent on set the talents arrive with the right wardrobe or if there's food that needs to be on the set or a drink she's you know she's doing a lot of things behind the scenes being a producer so growing i've grown out of like what i could do on my own into what i'm doing now which is only can be done with with a team like i have and i want i just want to say side note that having only met Jenna once before today, so meeting her twice, it was just, it was easily apparent that she's somebody who gets stuff done. Um, And like you said, you said the word host. She's a host because she's not only incredibly friendly, she always has a smile, she's incredibly nice, um, but she's, she's over here. She's over there. She's doing this. She's doing that. She's looking at her watch. She's making sure this person is over here when they need to be or leaving when they need to be. And she wears a lot of hats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I have to imagine for somebody like for yourself, that's huge because it allows you to stay on track with what you need to do and what, what you're good at. And you shouldn't have to do all of that. Um, somebody had recently said to me too that I had made mention of something that I do and but I do x y and z also and I could do this this and that but I don't and he said because you should stick to what you're good at and that's not to be said in a a negative connotation but it's if you're a photographer be the photographer don't be the producer the host the emailer the everything else and so I have to imagine that that's only been able to when I say, you know, how you've personally elevated, that has allowed you to grow as an artist because you're not having to wear 12 different hats. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question I could be taking on the projects I take now without the people I have on my team. And I, even in these portfolio meetings, I, I'm open about that. You know, images reflect a team, you know? So it's, it's always been weird to me when someone is like, oh, that, that picture is amazing. You're a great photographer. Well, First of all, if I'm shooting a product, I didn't design the product. I didn't pick out the finish. I didn't, you know, these are not my design choices. I am um, in this similar way when I was shooting architecture, I am trying to record all the details that somebody put into it and show them in their best light. And that's what I do. You know, I try to tell a story with product photography that, you know, puts that on the forefront and allows products to do, uh, to communicate all the things that the brand wants them to communicate a feeling, um, you know, whether if it's an iPod, it could be high energy or it could be like something you do while you're doing yoga, you know? So all these things, wherever you want it to, whatever your audience is, has to convey these things because that's who you're talking to and you got to understand that. Um, anyway, it's all those design, design decisions. I can't take credit for that. If it's on my photograph, it's like, thanks. Yeah. I lit, I lit it well. I, you know, I, if you made I was, it look really nice. Yeah. In comparison, well, not in comparison, in addition to, in addition to, yeah. And, and I think now that, so we've talked so much about your, your, uh, high end commercial side of things. I think a big part of what I know you for, and like what we talked about offline, so to speak before this was, the way you approach your personal work, your, your, the work that makes you happy, um, the work that's not paying the bills, the work that you don't have to worry about. The work that doesn't pay at all, you mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, you know, 
that is the work that I admire from you as well. Not to say that I, you know, obviously I, I love your commercial work, but because you have such a connection to light. And I think that's what I've lost sight of a lot in my photography is in the work that I'm doing now of wedding photography, I'm not looking for very specific light because it's more documentary, right? Where, okay, I'll take you out at golden hour because I know we have good light and I'll stick you in a tree where the, the, the sun's coming through. But being, you know, being mindful of what I'm shooting because I look behind you now and as the light comes in through the trees and it's creating a beautiful, you know, light on your wall, I say, I want to photograph that because now I'm being intentional about what I'm looking to photograph. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit more about your personal work and, and your connection specifically maybe to the ocean and all things that, because that is something that anytime you post allows me to stop scrolling on Instagram and go, this is special to Dave. And for that, it's special to me because I know it took him a moment to sit, appreciate compose it and not just take a digital photo and go, I'll figure it out later. Yeah. So much of what I do is very, I should also say the work I do makes me happy even commercially, but that work is really a collective. It's, these are decisions made by a group. You know, whenever something is talked about on set, it's not like, Dave, what did you, what, what would you do here? Or what are you going to do here? It's what do we feel about this? Like it's a conversation and it's like inclusive and everybody kind of like, shares a collective input whether it's the stylist the brand the agency the creative director whatever you know it's how do we feel about x you know but when i shoot for me there's no questions there's only intuition and there's only a search for a connection whether that's of some floral arrangement that i've picked up or that i've uh, pulled in from like nature um or whether it's like stones I collected at the beach or whether it's a literal landscape and I'm just observing trying to be part of something I'm always chasing a feeling so like a lot of times you can create that with light or you can find it and it when it hits you that's when you hit when you find it something that you feel and you can record it in a way that represents that feeling and you put it out there and somebody else feels it too that's a that's magic that's 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 magic and what and, you're and, yeah what you're saying is what i think it, it just resonates with me because like i said I, I know that's where your mindset is which is interesting right because you and i over you know however many years it was ago that we met haven't hung out for more than maybe five hours total but we've we've always had the same connection to the way we approach things, but you're just better at executing them or, or uh, maybe telling that story. There's a vulnerability too that you kind of have to let yourself fail or you, let, you have to ex let yourself experiment. A lot of times I don't think we let ourselves be put in a situation where we're going to be reminded that we suck, you know? And I find myself doing this all the time where I'm like, I want to take on that <clears throat> technique or I want to like, maybe I want to try this, but I, there's so much I have to learn. I don't want to be reminded that I'm still not good at that thing. So I don't let myself. Is that reminded from your own inner critic or is that reminded yeah. from like say social media? 
I don't care about social media. Okay. I we really, won't even go down that rabbit no, hole. No, I've, I've never really cared about it. I, yeah, exactly. So yeah. we won't even bother with that. But So it's your own inner critic that you're going to say, you didn't execute this how we originally intended? Yeah, so like if I... There have been times where I've not done something because I'm afraid that I'm going to not be good at it. Yeah, or I'm, there's like a, a shot that I want to make and, I'm, and I like talk myself out of it because I'm like, ah, I don't really have the right this this that or the other you know but i've learned to just say screw it let's go anyway i'm gonna fail my way i'm gonna fail all the way to the end and i'm gonna learn something and oftentimes you start going down this path the goal changes you know and you're like "Ooh, i'm onto something now and just by taking that step forward um i think again i think you have to be vulnerable. You have to just let yourself explore and suck at it because you might find who you are in the suck. Like you might find a, a lane that is completely your own unique voice. And I think if you don't explore, you'll never find that. And if you're never willing to, if you're always comparing yourself to other people, that monster will completely render you like um, useless and you won't be able to, you'll be paralyzed, you know? Because you're like, there's no way I can ever do it as good as name the photographer that you love. So why bother? But if you just ignored that and you just said, I'm going to do it anyway, you might on the way accidentally double expose or accidentally get a light leak and like that turns into like one of your best portfolio shots that now next time you shoot, you're like, remember that accident that happened when I was trying to create this shot, I'm going to intentionally use that, you know? And next thing you know, you have a portfolio with this one thing that you're drawn to, that you do, that tells everybody that's an Aaron Mello photograph, or that's a, you, that's a David Butler image because the way that the, all the light pings or, you know, whatever it is, that's how you find your voice. And I think that's what ultimately becomes the most satisfying when people come to you for you and the most enjoyable to make because you're making work that you love anyway, you know? So it's, it's kind of how you get there. And I think that vulnerability of just going out, trying to shoot something and connect with something or even being looking silly, shooting something that like, what is he doing? You know, why is he photographing like a feather? You know, I think I've, I've always appreciated the simplicity of your work you know i think i think it would be fair to say that there's a lot of minimalism in your portfolio but in a good way because i can look at my work if we're going to do the comparison game right now and go a lot of my photos are just busy it's busy with light it's busy with subjects it's busy with color it's busy with whatever it is but your photos so much of what you've done is go Anybody can look at this and they're attracted to what I want them to be attracted to. I'm good at selling what I wanted them to see. And I think that minimalism comes through in my personal stuff too. It, that's like a, the only common thing. Otherwise, it's vastly different. Yeah. But it's all clean. And yeah, minimal. exactly. It clean is, is a great descriptor too. Um, yeah, I just, I think as I progress in my career personally, in, in doing things for myself, like what you said, where you just go out and you shoot something because you have something in mind up until 2017, maybe even 18, I would just, 
I would I would go out on a Sunday if I had nothing else to do, take my camera and just find something to shoot that would be different. Not just eh, let's let's you know spray and pray like what you said earlier and just pick the best so I can post it on Instagram. Yeah. So I think I'm I'm becoming more intentional. The the word especially shooting with intention and just looking more shooting more like I'm shooting film. That comes with age too, right? Like as you mature, you start to like realize what you're spending your time on. And like you just every every second of your available time to go do something like that you love has to be doing something you love. And you're now in t- more in tune than when you were when it was just fun and exciting and you were young, you know, because now it's like, all right, I got I got <laughs> this random opening of an afternoon I need to go make some therapy art, you know, some work that is just speaks to your soul. And it doesn't matter if anybody else likes it. It doesn't even matter if you don't come away with an image, but to ex- just to go through this process of creating is therapy. And, I, and if you're a creative person, that's going to be true across the board, I think. And I think even if you're not thinking of yourself as a creative person, like maybe you're an accountant, whatever you do, that process is creating and that, that, that whatever it is that you do that brings you joy, it's through this movement of doing stuff and creating something, manifesting something, search, discovering something that you're, that's internal to your soul. I think what you keep saying too keeps sticking out with me now that I've, I've made note of it is you're saying make, make a photo, you know, make it a piece of art, not take a photo because not everything is there where you and I could, I mean, you know your studio like the back of your hand, but you and I could be let loose in here with a camera and you would make something differently than I would because it's not there just to take, which I think is, is just, I can appreciate that entirely. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it gets to get, it gets to be pretty heady. You know, we're talking about product photography. It's not that serious, but under it all, the day I realized that this is what I'm going to do, I knew I had to do it to the best of, I was done failing. And I needed, and the measure of not failing is only in me. It's, it is not a benchmark like we talked about in the beginning that when you get there, you've made it. It's not that. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with so many things, but it has to do with, there's a reason why we're here and there's a uniqueness to what we all bring to the earth and to each other as a community. And we have to, if we have an idea, if we have a thought, or if we have a, a song in our head or a painting in our mind, to hold that in is selfish because somebody out there is gonna see it and connect with it. And I think the more, the more you are able to just let go and just put your vulnerable ideas out there, and that, that, that is creativity, that is like, kicking down walls and finding a new layer of yourself because it's easy to be safe it's easy to be unhappy even you know it's very easy to be repetitive but i feel like when you can explore yourself and really be the best version of yourself do the work that's in you to do whether it's building a home or whatever it is that's that's that satisfaction that can't really be bought I was going to say, you you can't, you can't match that in a lot of different ways. And I think growing up, I explored a few different avenues of creativity, whether it was drawing or graffiti. I was never a sports kid, but something using my two hands to, to express myself. Once I found photography, I just, I knew that was it. And, and getting my first camera and just 
filling up the SD or the, the compact flash card every day and just in, and figuring out what worked and what didn't. But even when things didn't work, that was fine because I was learning and I was exploring and I was being creative and I was having fun. And there's, there's nothing that can match that. It's a beautiful thing. I still remember, uh, doing a slow shutter of running water. When I lived in Maine, central Maine, I was in the water. I had already fallen in, so I was soaked, but I figured out how to do long exposure, which is nothing special. But as soon as I played it back on the back of my camera and saw that, that just creamy, misty water from a one second exposure or whatever it was, I started jumping up and down and cheering in the middle of this little river, like a nutcase. But those are the moments that I always want to have. You know what you did there though? You took a chaotic situation and you recorded it in a way that seemed peaceful. There's water rushing and crashing off rocks or, you know, to our eye, to our experience, that it's like, it's, it's kind of chaotic. Yeah. It might be peaceful with some people, but depending on how busy the river is. Or like right outside. Uh, yeah, like a <laughs> dam outside there. Yeah. That's a chaotic situation. There's white waters, is, is, is splashing and crashing. But when, you're, when you show people what we all see in a different way, it's the same thing. Like that is totally different, you know, emotion. It's totally, totally different. You transformed it into something completely different. And you did that. And, and it's like, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And you looked at the back of your camera and you're like, I've never seen water like that. You know, that's water. That's chaos. But now it's peaceful. It's clean. I love that. I love that. It's a, good, it's a good way to put it that I wouldn't have thought otherwise. I just thought, you know, from an artistic level, oh, cool, this is what I wanted. But it's, it's well said. And that's why I can appreciate somebody's eye or somebody's thought perspective like that. All right, couple couple random questions. Then we'll end it out. What? Because um, I mean, again, we could we could go, <laughs> go. Sorry, sorry to your family that we kept you long. You just got um, a cannon, so it has kind of reinvigorated you. Um, what do you see kind of uh, developing from your personal your personal photos over the next however long? You know, what have you learned already quickly with having that? Yeah. So, I, I for the past. I don't know how long now I've been shooting phase one, which if any other photographers out there that know like the phase one setup, it's similar to a medium format body, like a Hasselblad. Um, it used to be Mamiya. It's now phase one. They're big. They're, they're beastly heavy. Yeah. Not something you just walk down the street or, you know, you kind of want it mounted, you know? So for a while I wasn't really shooting stuff that I used to shoot out on the street because I didn't have a camera with me because that was my main camera. <clears throat> so I switched over. I, well, I ended up buying like a Fuji and I still shoot a lot of film, I should say. I still shoot view cameras. I still shoot a medium format. Um, I have medium format Mia film, medium format uh, Hasselblad. I still shoot a 35 millimeter film. And these are all more experimental and and there's there's a certain thing I'm after when I'm shooting with those but I've never I haven't had like a good camera that does the in-between stuff and anyway I just picked up the Canon the new R5 um or 5R R5 R5 yeah 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 um and immediately I'm like I'm home you know I learned on Canon and it's like a, it it reminds me how how fun it is just to go out and shoot 
and you have this beautiful quality result in a mirrorless body. And I, I like to shoot with the back of the camera closed so you can't see the screen and you're just shooting and you just shoot. And it's like shooting film where you're not so out of this moment where you're like checking your exposure or you're checking to see if it's in focus. If you just shoot and not be tempted to look at the back, it's just like having this great in-between camera where it's still instant. It's still got plenty of resolution, plenty of dynamic range. And um, we picked up good, beautiful lenses for it. And it, it's just, it's been fun again, you know? So I don't know where it's going to take me, but now I have something that's like, I could just go out and go for a walk and it's lightweight and I'm not having to, you know, bring a tripod for my view camera or, or like, you know, it's not that clunky. It's not that situation. Yeah. So I'm excited. You know, I've already shot a few projects with it and you know, it shoots, I think 20 frames per second still. So it's, that opens, that gets me in a whole different bracket than, no pun intended, than, uh, <laughs> than the phase. I think phase is, it feels like it's such a, a dinosaur. It's like, yeah, it's loud. It's clunky. It's like two frames a second. It feels like, uh, so yeah, probably gonna end up doing some more like gifts and cinemagraphs with it. And that's probably how I'll use it on the commercial side. Um, be able to burst off a bunch of frames and do a sequence. Oh, that'll be cool to or see. Or like the 4K, you know, 120 frames per second. It's not super slow-mo, but it's enough to make it Oh, uh, 120 is romantic. great, though. Yeah. yeah. It looks real nice when you slow that down. That's where you really start to get into that. Yeah. Okay, slow motion's a cool thing to see. Yeah, yeah, there's a romance to it. Um, so we'll see where it goes. And I'm not, I've always been one to say, like, I'm not going to just take on motion because now that's trending and the last few projects i've done that have incorporated motion i've brought in uh, a camera operator and i'll let them be the expert and i'll continue to live in my still world and just direct it or light it you know and do what i have to do but uh for short short motion clips or like wine swirling in a glass or just little cuts here and there i think i can have some fun with it yeah i'm excited to see what comes out of that so i um i've kept you long enough We've gone over our time. I'm, I'm seeing some, some light that I need to take advantage of before we leave your studio here. Just yeah. the, the subtleties back there. Um, so I, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. I feel like we could, uh, we could have a whole other conversation. Yeah, we'll do it again. Bring you up to, because I think, you know, we, we got current, but, you know, there's still so much more to tell. So I'm excited. I appreciate your time and, and doing this and being, you know, my first guest on this. Yeah. Um, and just incredibly humbled by it. So I'm so grateful. And uh, I look forward to doing this again. Anything that uh, you want to say at the end here? Yeah, if anybody wants to find me, um, my Instagram is David Butler Studios. Question mark? Uh, question mark. <laughs> David uh, Butler Studios. But either way, it's uh, davidbutlerstudios.com. Uh, that's my website. So yeah, check me out. Um, I mentioned... A few other people in this conversation, Mark Leda, product photographer. He has a great YouTube series to check out. Drawing a blank on the name, but look, look up Mark Leda's um, amazing YouTube series. You, the Soft White Underbelly is the name of it. Okay. Um, it's amazing. Um, it's a real inside close look at the extremes of our people. So he'll interview people in you know, rural West Virginia, and then he'll interview a pimp, he'll interview a priest, he'll interview a KKK member. Like he, 
he sits down with all these people and he just gets them to the other way about him the people just open up and he's an amazing portrait photographer he shoots on his custom made uh view camera it's it's stunning stuff really, oh, i'll really, have to look that up because really I'm, I'm unfamiliar with that so that'll be great yeah uh peter shafrick i think retired um but you can probably still find his work brandon sullivan he's the photographer that hired me in phoenix and yep. introduced me to mark lipchinski if you could spell that you could find him yeah. i think he's He's worth looking up for sure. Amazing portrait documentary. The good news is I can put a bunch of things in the show notes too. Right, yeah, that's so a better we can, idea. We can yeah. link a lot can of stuff. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Oh, I'm not saying it. you can't name people. I'm just saying I can, yeah. put, I can put all their links to where they need to be. Sure. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, and Jenna Thiessen is my, my agent. She's worth looking up and connecting with too. Um, uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely do this again because now that I've seen the studio space that we're currently sitting in, it's just invigorating. Yeah. Which is great. So yeah, we'll do it again for sure. Absolutely. It's a lot more to get into. All right, man. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Take care.